always when we talk about financial things. And speak to us what it means to be generous. Generous with all our gifts. The same way you were generous with us. According to the words that I say, may it be acceptable and pleasing to you as we gather now. In Jesus Christ's name, we ask for the power of your Holy Spirit to be upon us. And the people said together, Amen. So as we begin this morning, let me acknowledge that the church has gotten a bad rap for the perception that it's always asking for money. I want you to know that I always wrestle with speaking about financial giving, and it's always one of those talks that's always a little harder, though, over the last six years going into seven, it's become easier and easier. It's because I realize the stakes are high, and sometimes you've, you've had personal and painful issues with it. It's a topic that's hard for us to deal with in some cases. And if you're a guest, then please understand that the church is not all about asking about money, but it definitely is about money as well as it is about prayers and presence and service and witness. And I've highlighted that from the very first week that I was here, that all these things are important. No one more than another, but they're all important. It's interesting that a study just came out, I guess it was last week, that actually talked about what people want when they come to church. And one of the things that was the lowest on it was talking about money in the sense that that bothered them. That didn't really bother people. What they really wanted was biblically-based preaching. 88%. 14% or something like that. I'm afraid to talk about money. So that really isn't an issue. We know where our heart is and, and where our heart needs to be, and the struggle is really inside of ourselves. We're trying to wrestle with all of this at the same time. But as we focused on living generously in all areas of our life over the last several weeks, we have heard challenging things in every area that we probably didn't want to hear. Amen? I'm not trying to manipulate you towards giving any plan or program at GSUMC. But for many of us, maybe like I believe, you think that this church, the church in particular, this one, is the place that has the best chance to be able to change the world from our corner of it. And it's the brightest hope of the world, and that's why I give to GSUMC and God first through here. I give and do addition to this, but this is the first place that my dollars go and all the things that we do. It may not be all the things that we do, but that's where we start. But the more I look at this true discipleship and it looks in the way of Jesus, the more I'm convinced we're only going to grow when we learn to give financially generously. It's how we grow. Looking at more than 50 different scriptures related to finances, the inescapable conclusion is how we deal with our finances in general and what we give in particular is a big deal to God. And so we need to focus on generosity in our financial gifts. And yes, I clarify that by saying financial gifts because in our vows it says gifts. And there is so much wiggle room then. What it basically does is give us the opportunity to say, well, that doesn't mean financial. Well, that's just part of that. No. What it means is financial gifts. As hard as it is to hear that, 
We have gifts in prayer. We have gifts in presence. We have gifts in service. We have gifts in giving witness. This is financial gifts. Completely and utterly financial. Because it determines most of our world. And no matter how uncomfortable we might feel about it, I feel that today's text, they're listed in your bulletin, and you're welcome to follow along with your app and be able to see more of those texts and see all the texts listed in the bulletin. That all of these texts are telling us about how to be extravagantly generous. And so I want to raise up a couple of lessons from those texts to help us to understand that better. In Luke 21... Jesus tells us and his disciples that giving is a measure of spiritual growth as he describes the offering of this widow. Set the stage, Jesus is now in Jerusalem for his final Passover. He's in the final week of his life. Many scholars believe this is the last full day of teaching and questions that Jesus shared with his disciples. And now, Jesus is in the temple. So in his last week of life and teaching, there are only a few more opportunities to drive home what he wants his disciples to know. And I began to ask myself this question, what's so important about this widow that in his last breath, his last words to them, that this would be the story that he wants them to hear the most and see? Luke 21 starts like this. And as he looked up, Jesus saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. Well, it first occurred to me that one of the major lessons is this, just in the first verse, that God notices what we give or we don't give. So quiet in here. Not like the other sermons. When I put something in the donation plate or I give online, God knows exactly how much it is. But God also knows why I gave it. That's as much an important part of, of what's happening here as everything else. You might say that Jesus notices the balance in our checking account in relationship to what we write on our check. That's a hard truth. Another way, my second week here, I said that, and somebody left the church. And I didn't stop saying it. Because it's important. We need to be challenged in that, to understand. The 10% or the tithe, nothing besides 10% is a tithe. So just because you give 5% doesn't make that ditch your tithe. A tithe is 10%. That's biblical. It's all over the Bible. You may give something, but if you don't give 10%, that's not a tithe. But the tithe, what we're trying to work towards, or more, we strive to give as the great equalizer, no matter what it is we have according to Jesus' math. You see, the, the call is for equal sacrifice not for equal gifts. All of us are not called to to give the same thing, but we are called equally to sacrifice out of what it is that we have been given. But this is more than about money. 
Yeah, this story is based on this woman's financial gift, but God not only sees what you put in the offering plate, God is mindful of what you do and what you don't do in all areas of your life. God is concerned about generosity in your prayer life like we've talked about, your Bible reading, your presence in worship and gathering together in small groups, your generosity in service, and your generosity in your witness. All you give as committed Christians, all I give as a committed Christian is what God is interested in, all of it. All of it. The temple area was divided into four sections. And it was in the women's court where in the temple the treasury was housed. And along the wall were 13 treasury boxes with mouths that were shaped like trumpets. And each of the treasury boxes has specific function. Scholars say several of the boxes were for mandatory temple offerings, others for the one-half shekel temple tax. There were a couple of boxes to help purchase wood and incense, and there was a box dedicated to offerings used to teach the children of poor families. It was thought into this last box the poor woman actually gave her gift. The whole temple tax totaled 23%. All of a sudden, 10% looks real good compared to 23%. You pretty much give that much to the government without even batting an eye. Even 10%, you pretty much give to every store you walk into when you buy something. But what do you give to God that is not forced on you? And it's a voluntary thing. Now understand, she didn't have to give this gift to God. In fact, she couldn't really afford to give this gift to God. She's a widow. Her husband had died some time ago, and she apparently had no children to take care of her. And Mark's gospel actually tells us that she is a poor widow, reduced to begging along the streets. She had no home. She had no possessions. I can see her as she stands in the street holding out her hands to strangers and someone places coins into her hands for that day. She probably takes some of those coins and goes and buys herself a meal, enough for that day to be able to eat. She can't keep anything. But then she has two coins left over in her pocket. She could put them in her pocket. Said, wow, I made a little bit extra today. She doesn't even think about that. She's been blessed with enough food for the day, and now she wants to express her appreciation to God. She's a woman who is desperately and extravagantly in love with God, and she wants to give a gift that shows the depth of her love to God. That's what these two coins represent for her. And there is Jesus watching her. There are other worshipers there that day. There are richer worshipers there. But while he sees what everyone else is doing, he focuses on this one woman, a poor widow who has lost everything in this world, and yet she gave all that she had to God. She gave to the poor. But she was probably poorer than the people she helped. You ever know somebody like this who gives more 
and they're the people who are probably the poorest. You've seen it again and again, the nightly news, the story of the, like the woman who gave all the food out and her car was falling apart. And so and she kept giving all this food out. And you know, she'd go out and just, she had no money to do any of this. And she just kept doing it because she felt everybody else was poorer than she was. And we looked at her and said, she's poor. This is that kind of woman. And there's Jesus watching. You think he knows she's coming? Of course he did. He's Jesus. He knew she was about to come. He was waiting for her. He was already there. They were already there before she showed up. They're probably wondering, why are we here in the temple watching them put coins in the trumpets? Verse 2, he also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. That leads me to the second thing I noticed. God wasn't really interested in the size of the gift. A check for $5,000 shouldn't really influence us any more than a check or two quarters of 50 cents being dropped in. And yet in life, very often, the bigger the better seems to be the way that it goes. Now I want you to realize Jesus never questioned the motivation of the rich in their giving. He's not saying anything about them at all. He's not belittling them for what they put in these boxes. He simply compared the gift to the gift of the poor widow. They gave out of the abundance of their wealth. They had a whole lot more where that came from, but she gave all that she had. We belittle the rich a lot of times by saying they, they don't give enough, but if you had a couple hundred thousand dollars or a couple of million, I bet you'd have a little hard time writing that check for 10% of that sometime too. How many of you, like some people have done in this room, have ever tithed off of your house and taken that money and actually given it to the church? I know some folks in this room have done that. That's hard. That's big. You make, you know, $100,000 off your house and all of a sudden you're like, oh, I'm going to write that $10,000 check. It's a little bit bigger every time you think about it. Now, who's rich? See, we always think rich is somebody down in Brentwood, Germantown, places like this. But most of us in this room are richer than the majority of the world, and many in life. All it takes is a little time, spending time at the room at the end, or going down to the rescue mission, or just driving through some of the city streets of Nashville, and you'll find out real quickly what rich looks like. Because of them, you and I are rich in our subdivisions, in our new cars, etc., etc., etc. And to the whole world, even they are rich. When you live on less than $7 a day, like the trouble that's happening in Haiti right now, where they're dying every day and they can't get help to them, there's nothing we can do and we're stuck and the people there can't do anything and the roads are all closed and the schools are closed and the kids are dying by the bushels. All of us are rich compared to that. Industrialized nations. 
What Jesus wants us to understand is that God doesn't look at the size of our gifts as much as God looks at the size of our hearts. Amen? What we're really talking about is cause and effect. If your heart is big, your gift will be big no matter what it is, if it's according to what God has asked us to do. Remember our EKG from two years ago, the extravagant kind of generosity? And we asked the question, how is your heart? Because the heart determines everything else that we do. You know why? Because the head will stop us. The head will stop us from writing the check but saying, you know what, I, don't, I need to have that. I need to do this. The head will stop us from being generous because it will make us think about it more than about our heart. But our heart will initially give out. Our heart will say, you know what, I'm going to do this no matter what because I know it's the right thing to do. That five figures in my checking account doesn't make me a better person. Or four figures. Or whatever else it is that makes us what we think is successful. The heart tells us that's not how it works. In our own lives it tells us that when we try to climb the corporate ladder, when we try to figure out how to have a better life by doing the things the world tells us to do, and then all of a sudden we wake up and realize one day this is not what life is all about. It doesn't take long to get there with a health concern or a child in danger or family falling apart or struggles internally, to realize that the heart is the most important part. And so in pointing out the woman in the temple and her small gift, God doesn't want the wealth of a person as much as God wants the heart. He didn't care how much she was putting in. He cared about where it came from, and that was directly from her heart. And so he says, I tell you the truth. And when he says that, I tell you the truth, it's the truth. Amen? Whether we like it or not, what we hear from him is the truth. And he says, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. The third thing I learned is she gave because she loved God and she was thankful. That's why she gave. Because she loved God and because she was thankful. Not because she had to, not because she was told to, not because it was written down somewhere, but because she loved God and she was thankful and this was the way she knew she could help. The woman did not have to give her two coins. I understood if she hadn't given those two coins. I would have said, no, 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 don't put those on the offering plate. You need those to live on. You're obviously struggling. I think Jesus would have understood if she had not given them. Instead, she held on tightly to those coins and she rushed to the temple and she puts them in the box because of her love for God. She wanted to give the money to God because she loved Him and loved others. She wasn't doing it for show. Far rich people had come by and their fancy clothes and had put things in. Then her gift, her shabby dress, and her two small coins wouldn't make a bit of difference in anything that happened that day whatsoever. And probably not even worth it to be able to use for any kind of ministry in reality. But she gave because she loved. We see it all the time. Do you really think the two pennies in the offering plate that your kid put in there really make any difference whatsoever in changing the bottom line of this church? No. But why is it then that we look at that and go, wow, look at the kids, they gathered up, look what they put in there. Why is that? Because it shows us their heart. You see, it's the heart 
If you're making change in the offering plate, it's probably not your heart. It's probably your head. If you look in your wallet and you've got a 5 and a 10 and a 20 and a 50 and a 100 and you go for that 5 first thing and then say, well, that's a little chintzy and you pull the 10 out or the 20 instead and say, that's my offering to God and you make $40,000 or more, that is not. You made a head decision. I do it too. Gosh, when I, I'm like, I don't carry cash. And when I do, I carry like a 20 sometimes. And I'm like, and then the person at the place is stopped there and they need help. And I'm like, I don't want to give him $20. That's all I got. It's either 20 or nothing. It's like, all right, then you're just stupid to have a 20 in your wallet. Then give him 20. So I do. If I don't keep cash in my wallet, it doesn't stay around. Robert Louis Stevenson said, you can give without loving, but you can never love without giving. You can give without loving, but you can never love without giving. Or as Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The woman put her money where her heart was. She gave it to God. And when Jesus pointed this woman out to his disciples, he was showing them the kind of followers he wanted his church to be after he was gone. God wants worshipers that deeply love and and they give of their treasures and their time and their talents because they love. So this morning, the question I have to ask you is this, what is the size of your heart? What is the size of your heart in relationship to the love of God? Could you really give your last two coins if that's what it took to be able to show God or to be able to tell God that you loved God? Why do you give financially to God? And what do you give financially to God? The why and what? If you feel guilty about it, That's not the church or me or anybody else. I guarantee you that's your conscience. If you have to defend it or figure out why it's not enough, that's between you and God. I guarantee it. That wrestling happens there. I'm behind on my Imagine Pledge this year, and it's mounting up. And I keep looking at it and going, holy smokes, if I don't get this paid pretty soon, it's going to be the full amount by the end of the year. And so I keep holding off. And guess what happens? It keeps getting bigger. Got a statement just came out this past week, right? You probably looked at it and went, oh, man, I missed those three times during the summer or whatever else. You're like, how am I going to make that up? I don't have the money to do that. Well, that week you had the money to do it. But now you look back on it, you've already spent the other money that was given to God in the first place, and now you're trying to figure out how do I make the difference now? But you had the money the whole time. But you didn't give it to God first because you forgot, didn't have it on auto pay, all that kind of stuff. And it mounts up. The next thing you know is like, I don't know how I'm going to make up for the money I should have given to God in the first place. It's hard. It's hard. And then he says, all these people gave their gifts out of their wealth. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. So a fourth thing I think... I notice not written anywhere in this, but is the big Jesus why is that God expects his people to be givers. God expects his people to be givers. It's a part of what we know 
Listen to Janice's story. People are giving right and left to her. People shouldn't even know. Is that because of God? I don't know, but I, my guess is more than likely that there is a lot going on there that is about God, intentionally or unintentionally, in that giving. James McCord tells the story of a, a man who commented that he was never coming back to a particular church because all they ever talked about in that church was give, give, give. And Dr. McCord said, I cannot think of a better definition of Christianity than that. Give, give, give. I am convinced that unless you learn to give, you can never learn to be fully human, let alone fully Christian. McCord went on to say, God is a giver. He gave us life itself. And his ultimate generous gift was that of his son. What more cherished, more precious, more intimate gift could one give than that of his only child? If we want to achieve God's likeness, we must be givers too, givers in every way, and God expects our gifts to be in proportion to what we have received. The same way the government expects to get what, they, what we get in proportion to what we have received. My income goes up, guess what happens? Your employer pays part of your, of your stuff. As clergy, I pay 7.65, and then I pay 7.65. I get to pay them both. Whenever my income goes up, it automatically shoots everything else up. Same for you. We grumble about it, we still do it. We go buy more stuff at the store, guess what's going to happen? Nowadays, everything online, for the most part, is taxed. We got away with that for years. We, Amazon, everywhere else in Tennessee, didn't have to pay anything. Now everything is right there. And you look at a little tax and you go, oh, no. Look how much I could save. I didn't have to pay that tax. Let me go look at the Internet for, 50, for five hours trying to find the place where I could buy that without having to pay the tax. Even in the church, we're tax-free a lot of times. Sometimes we go and buy something in tax. And a couple of years ago, my last church, someone finally said to me, you know, it's great that we're tax-free sometimes, but the taxes go to build roads, they go to build schools, they go to build everything. Shouldn't the church be a part of that at least in some way? I'm like, okay, so I don't make a big deal of trying not to pay tax on things because tax goes back to our country, to our city, to our state, as Janice said. So the Luke 21.4 lesson Jesus tells us is to give out of your poverty, or a better word would be sacrificially. People who give sacrificially know where their money comes from. People who give sacrificially know that they worked hard for they take home. Yes, we all do. But they also know that God has blessed them and provided for them. Amen? That this is how it works. Proverbs 22.9, Happy are generous people because they give some of their food to the poor. Whenever you give sacrificially, you're saying, Lord, I want you to be God of my whole life, and my giving needs to reflect that sacrificially. People who give sacrificially trust in God to provide. They're not only socially secure in Jesus, they're also spiritually secure in Jesus as well. When we give sacrificially, it's a whole different place in our life than just giving it off the top or a little bit here. When I give the 20 out of my wallet, it hurts. It's good. It should hurt. It shouldn't be ones and fives. It needs to hurt. Imagine, for many of us, it's been sacrificial giving over the last two years as we go into the third year. It is giving above and beyond what we normally give. 
It hurts. But it also feels good. Luke 6, 38 tells us to give plentifully. Give, it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. report into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured to you. What does that mean? The more generous you are, the more generous that God will be with you. Because it just flows. And the more it flows into you, and then flows out. When I started tithing ten years ago directly to the church, not all of my other causes at the same time, things really began to change. And ever since, I don't have to look at my checking account to figure out if I can give that $20 out of my wallet. I've never checked ever again. I don't reconcile my bank statements. I know how much money is in there at any one time. But I've never outgiven God. I've never outgiven God. Happens all the time. The more I've held on to stuff, the more the things have not gone right in my life. And I've struggled. It's a big difference being freed from that. For instance, people always ask me about our budget. Like, you know, how does our budget work? And, you know, you don't want all the numbers. All the numbers are there for you. We'll be glad to give you any numbers you want to see. But for the most part, most of you are like, ah, I don't care about any of that. But here's something you might care about. In our budget for next year, when we're trying to figure it all out, and it's all just kind of loosey-goosey right now, all that kind of thing. But in our budget for next year, 42% of what you give goes to pay the pastor, me, and our amazing part-time staff. 42%. You may not realize that they are part-time, but they are all very part-time as far as their hours because of how much they give. They give in so many ways. In 2015, it was only 34% of our budget. Our staff was really lowly paid. And with Trey and with JR at that time and, and talking about it, we developed a plan over five years to get that back where it, get where it needed to be. And last year we actually accomplished it before we got to this year. Fair wages to everybody. It's the best that we can do. Equitable salary. 40% goes to keep up this building. It used to be 53% of everything that we took in. From 314000 to 217000 And folks are always asking, where does that go? Well, here's where it goes. First thing, the mortgage, $70,000. But it used to be $195,000 in 2015. Huge change. But we can't knock out the 70000 until Imagine finally comes to completion and until after that when we finally pay off the entire debt because we, every month we still pay the mortgage plus what Imagine does that so we're knocking it down. But we can't change the budget until that number is zero. 70000 We could have $6,000 more a month to be able to use for ministry once that debt is completely retired. Electric, $50,000. Chokes me every time we get a bill for $6,000 in that month. I'm like, $6,000? And then we're like, well, we'll get a break in October. We didn't get a break in October at all. Insurance, $29,000. That's a huge chunk for us. 
Natural gas, 12.5. And, and David's his favorite. Storm water fee, 28.50. City charges us this, even being nonprofit. 28.50? We don't have that anywhere. Comes out of our budget. Then the other 18% goes into mostly administration, a few other ministry areas of the church, apportionments, which we don't pay in full, but we hope to pay between 45 and 50% this year. We were at zero when I got here. Most ministry money, especially children, 8,500, and youth, 5,000, comes completely outside of our budget whatsoever. Ministry, like anything, costs money. And the more generous we are in ministry, the more we can do. And we've been generous over the years by being able to do this outside the budget, but eventually it has to come back in, which we're working towards right now. That all of our giving goes inside of the impact budget, not to every little thing that we want to give to, but it completely goes to the inside and then it comes together that way. The more generous you are, the more ministry we can do. It was shown in the phenomenal giving during the miracle of the minibus, which has now got lettering on it, but it's not completely finished, so we're not, we're not displaying it yet, but it is back there and does look good in some parts of it. The rest of it will look good eventually. And the incredible faithfulness of Imagine. Who would have thought we'd be able to take care of that much debt over three years to get us in a place where we could finally be able to say we're going to see the, end, the light at the end of the tunnel and it's not a train coming at us? That's generosity. Proverbs eleven twenty four says, Those who give generously receive more, but those who are stingy with what is appropriate will grow needy. Generous persons will prosper. Those who refresh others will be, they themselves be refreshed. Listen to that text. A text for our lives. That those who refresh others will they themselves be refreshed. How many times have you given to something or done something and seen it and gone, I feel so good. I was able to help. I had the money to make a difference. I could change that. I could buy 10 Operation Christmas Child boxes. I could do whatever it is. I could serve at Room at the Inn. I could meet Ruth's challenge for buying underwear or whatever it might be. Or I just kept the lights on in this place and able to be heated or cooled. Or I celebrated the staff by being able to give them a, a living. Because this is their living. They don't, for the most part, don't have other jobs. Or they do, and there's like two or three jobs, and they're trying to juggle them all at the same time and still be faithful. But here's the thing. You shouldn't give because you think you have, you have to or God needs your money. It's a bad reason. Very bad reason. Because it will always be true. The church will always have ministry expenses. It will always need money. They're going to grow as we keep growing. If we try to grow the kingdom, it's always going to go higher. Instead, you hear these verses from 2 Corinthians 9. Everyone should give whatever they have decided in their heart. They shouldn't give with hesitation or because of pressure. Do not give to the church because you feel like you have to or because you've been guilted in it or whatever else. Don't do that. That's a horrible thing to do. Give to the government because you have to. Give to the store because that's what the tax says. Do not give to God because of that. 
Give to God because you want to. You feel led to. Instead, give, you should give because you love God and you want to invest in God and the kingdom that God has created. The more you give, the more ministries that can be done in God's name. If the church is going to be effective today, it must take measurable progressive steps forward. And these steps cannot be taken by one person alone. The whole community must take those steps together. Amen? Now here's the thing. Good Shepherd is doing fine financially. We're not in a rough spot. People have told me before, why we even have Imagine when we seem to be okay? Well, that's a whole different story. But we're fine. But that's the rub. We're just fine. We barely tread water all the time over all the years. We never get ahead. We can never move forward. We sit in places, and Jerry and the rest of the staff parish team, we sit in a room, and we talk about agonizing over how we can give a 1.6 cost of living raise or a 2.0 raise to our staff or nothing at all. We agonize over that. Well, we can't really pull that off. Well, we're going to have to to be faithful. And so every year it's been the same thing, the same discussion, the same staff we're celebrating right now. We can't even figure out how to be able to pull off giving them a minuscule raise. 2 Corinthians 9.6 says, The one who sows a generous amount of seeds will also reap a generous crop. So to close, do you know how much more ministry we could do if we could make that crop increase here? But more importantly, is how generosity changes our lives and the lives of others. We are called to be generous people. And that includes financially. We can't say, I gave all my service, I give my time, so that takes away my my expectation to be generous financially. We can't say, well, I've shared my witness or I'm praying all the time or I'm present in worship almost every Sunday that doesn't take the place of our financial generosity. God was generous with us and God calls us to be generous back to him and to others. Amen. He was generous in his love to us. And we are thankful. Did we give that love for us? He is generous in his life and his blood poured out for us, not just a portion of it, but all of it, given in love to each one of us. He was generous in so many ways, all the time, even when he didn't have to be. And so as we gather in this community this morning, we remember these acts of generosity and of love and forgiveness. Even we didn't deserve them. Even we have to confess that we are not the right place. That we have not lived according to his will. We've been disobedient. We have not followed his law. We have not lived into his will. But we have done all of these things that we have to confess. And yet his grace still covers us and invites us to the table. So I invite those coming forward to serve this morning to come forward as we bless these elements.
Gracious God, as we pour into these things now, the power and presence of your spirit and generosity, let us be generous people who understand the great gift given to us, that God would give his only son, sent for us and for love. Let's remember that great gift as we receive these gifts from you of remembrance. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, bless them and pour out your presence into them. Amen. Come forward to receive this morning. Understand God's generosity and love. He has forgiven us and we have new life. Come forward. Receive his love and forgiveness. You alright? If Christ broke and given his love for you.
that we have is these are all of our cards presents prayers financial gifts service and witness all with things that we can be generous in Chris would they're one per family if you take one per family and pass them through Next Sunday, we'll bring these cards back. David, would you help me out? Just help them get through. Trey, would you help me out? You do it. Thanks. And pray about these cards and think about them, all of them. And we'll bring them back for Celebration Sunday next Sunday as we gather together in all of our generosity. All of our generosity amazing opportunity. Please don't leave before you get your cards because we're trying to save mailing them out. And we all know everybody who's here will save ourselves some stamps. Always trying to be good stewards. Go forth from this place to be generous in all these areas of our life, but especially be generous with your financial gifts. To tell stories like Janice can tell in her life. Amen. You're dismissed.